This is Season 2, Episode 13 of Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast all about upping your game. Doesn't matter if you're a game master or a player, you'll find advice, ideas, and some strong opinions. Our episode tonight is Running a Horror RPG or Rut Row Shaggy. everyone like i said welcome to mastering the rpg a tabletop rpg podcast with advice cool stuff founds opinions and just just generally having a good time i'm carl with my co-host eric and james and you'll find information about the show at masteringtherpg.com and you can send us email feedback questions whatever at game master at masteringtherpg.com so hey it's good to have everybody back on the mic again how are you guys doing? James, how are you doing? I'm going great, Scoob. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it was just... Yeah, I was totally... I was <laughs> it's, totally a great, it's a great voice. Uh, <laughs> surprise. I nailed it. Yeah. I nailed it. <laughs> totally nailed it. What was our first ever episode, how to do convincing accents? I think I think there's a masterclass right there, everyone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going really well. Uh, a bit of a break for us. We're on uh, school vacation at the moment, so a few less school games at the moment, but still doing plenty of role-playing. Uh, um, started a couple of new players who are uh, some of our listeners uh, are playing in one of wow. our games, one Woo-hoo. of my games um, on a Monday night. So they're welcome to the... Middle-aged uh, marauders, the the group of 40, 40 to fifty-year-old blokes that I play with every second Monday, and I'm starting to play in a new Planescape campaign oh, um, wow. on Friday night. So I'm very excited. So uh, Planescape comes out officially um, later this year by Wizards of the Coast, but we're getting in early, and so we're we're running a kind of converted second edition D and D Planescape game, awesome. which is very exciting. Um, we, I loved the last game that I played in. Um, even though I do a lot of dungeon mastering, I really think there's great value in playing in other people's games. So we, we did a level 1 to level 20 campaign that wound up after three years earlier this year, and so it's really good to get, get into a new campaign. I'm, I'm a bit stoked, a bit, bit excited. It's going to be great. How about you, Eric? How are you travelling at the moment? I'm doing all right. Uh, a lot of stuff shuffling around at home. Not too, not too much stuff going on on the game front, just kind of playing the same games I'm in. Still, uh, my... Settings taking a little bit of a backseat, but I'm, I think next month I'll be able to get and kind of finish it finally so I can get my own game going <laughs> at last. <laughs> but yeah, not much to report at this moment. Uh, myself? Uh, well, Eric, you, you forgot all about We did a big three-part series on arcane backgrounds and powers for yes. Savage Worlds. Yeah. Uh, fantasy true. companion i mean we were talking each episode over an hour of content hour and a half it just they went on and on a lot of really good stuff got some good comments on it so um he he was doing himself a disservice he did a ton of research uh for those um and for that for that that particular uh, video series on tabletop tango so um it was good stuff it was that was a lot of fun to do and uh, the game is going well as well um Players, I think, are probably feeling they're like a step behind um, the forces at work, trying to catch up and Ooh, get ahead I love of them. It. Yeah, Just, yeah, good so, stuff. But uh, we'll see. Um, I don't know if Eric feels that, but I, I, I definitely felt like the guys were like, oh, we just missed it. Oh, you know. <laughs> yeah. All tell, right. Tell me so more cool. about the steps. That's what I want to know. I want to know more specifically what steps are we behind 
<laughs> okay, that I can't tell you. <laughs> all right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. Well, hey. Uh, we don't we don't have a cool stuff for this week, so we might as well uh, jump right into the main topic of running a horror game. All right, everybody, welcome to the main topic: um, running a horror RPG. And uh, Eric has volunteered to take us through the outline tonight, and so that's very nice of him. I appreciate that. Well, and I'm going to turn it on over to you, Eric. <laughs> yeah, I volunteered because this I would say this is my biggest blind spot as far as storytelling. I mean, I've watched, you know, some horror shows and movies, but I'm just not that I'm not that scared of it. I'm just not really into the genre that much. And I've never actually played like a real horror game, neither or ran one. And I haven't really even like, you know, watched. I mean, besides like Vampire the Masquerade which I don't consider really that horror either anyways. So. That's horror. Is it horror? That's horror. I don't know, but you're the monster, yeah, totally. right? I've played games where I'm the monster. Uh, so to me, that doesn't feel like horror, but let's talk about it then. So let's let, let's specifically, okay, let's bring it up now. What is horror? Uh, I think James, like, what, what, do you, what, how, what do you consider horror? Oh, good Lord. Yeah. Uh, I, I was hoping I wasn't going to get nope, this question. Um, <laughs> uh, what is horror? Horror uh, is a genre, a genre of games and literature where uh, it is pushing the boundaries of of good taste, pushing the boundaries <laughs> of shock. It's uh, pushing the boundaries of, of of what a what a mere mortal can withstand. Um, it it is fear. It is terror. It is um, the morbid morbidity of death. Wow. It's it's all sorts of things Fair to all sorts of people, um, and I freaking love it. I love running horror games. It's one of my favorite things. And um, and yes, Vampire the Masquerade is okay. a horror game. Vampire the Vampire the Masquerade and the slide and the the, the slide into vampirism and the the slow release of letting go of your humanity is an existential horror that shouldn't be underestimated. It's a great horror game. Mm, all right. Um, but uh, yeah, that's it's a. Horror is everything to all people. I don't know. What's a good definition of horror, Carl? Someone think, Google it. Yeah, I think um, that is one thing I didn't research. But uh, for me, a horror is anything that really causes um, and then a, a, a severe uneasiness in your soul yeah. or, you know, that fear. It's not just fear. Yeah. It's it's that um, – I, I don't know how else to say it. You're just uneasy. You're just – you feel – um, something's not right. Sorts. Yeah, it's not right. Yeah, I mean, just to me, not to me, right. the one Anything word that, that came that out causes is, that. The, the big word that when you the, is tension, like at least for a game, right, is like creating tension. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Hmm. Yeah, tension is part of it. Uneasy for sure. is good. Yeah, yeah. Um, being uneasy, just you know, having your skin crawl, what have you. Um, you know, to me, horror is more than just. Um, well, we should talk about that. You know, what what yeah. we think different ways of doing horror is <laughs> yeah that's kind we'll, of the point right so yeah we'll talk about that but there's there's different types of horror isn't there yeah. like yeah, this exactly you know there's kind of zombie splat brains everywhere horror and then there's more subtle forms of horror i guess you could say well what are the main forms of horror you think for games or what works what's what's the main forms of horror that works best for tabletop games like specifically because that's what we're here to talk about Carl, what, what, like, what, what's, what, what's you, what are the, what are the types that you like to use the most? Well, there's, there's kind of like three, 
and I, I know that, you know, the way people do films and genres, they cut them in different ways. But I really think of it, there's three really good ones that, that play well in the tabletop role-playing. First is that what what might be called cosmic. That, that's the Call of Cthulhu, right? That's yeah, the unknowable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Horrors are at a scale that the human mind just can't possibly comprehend without going insane. The second one is kind of a gothic horror. This is, you know, classic. The, the the monsters that cause us unease, we don't know about them, we don't understand them. Um, you know, it has that it has that vibe of Victorian Europe and you know that dark and the you know dreadful and dreary. And then the last is I kind of mash them together is that action, pulpy, um, you know, kind of that modern where and I forgot I, I take slasher and I don't even I, I don't think slasher is a great kind of RPG-ish one. Um but Things like yes, the zombie movies fall into this. The um, the creature from the Black Lagoon, those kinds of things that mm. are really um, out there that you just don't understand. So those are the three kind of main ones that I think of that work really well in a in a game setting where you're playing yeah. not a monster because there's a whole set of horror like you were talking about where you play a monster. Yeah, um, which I have played know, a lot. I played. I'm, think, I'm thinking I played more monster hearts. You're playing, I played. Uh, like, you know, yeah. things like that. I've played, you know, plenty of times I've been a werewolf or a creature or, but I don't, but to me that doesn't, doesn't read as horror because I personally am not, you know, I'm the thing causing I mean, you terror. Are I'm horror, not under, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, James, do you have any other ones that you, I mean, you're obviously the cosmic horror guy, but do you have, do you split that up any different? Yeah, but I've, I've, I've played a lot of Gothic okay. as well. So the cosmic horror, that eldritch, uh, unknowable horror that, that is through, that is riddled through Lovecraft's and Poe's writing that, that kind of deals with a lot of that unknowable. The Gothic horror, I think, does fit into the you are a monster idea because if you think about yeah. the, the, the real classic Gothic novels of Dracula and of Frankenstein, you know, that it, it places, a lot of the empathy onto the monster in each of those books, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Yeah. That kind of that kind of vibe is very heavy in the gothic genre, um, and so that I think that actually does translate quite well into into games. And gothic for me is is equally as as I love it just as much as the cosmic horror. The Curse of Strahd's come out of there, real classic kind of role playing. Dungeons and Dragons tends to lend itself better to gothic horror than it does to cosmic horror. So I think for most people when they when they're going down that path of introducing horror into their role playing games, if you're trying to introduce it into a fantasy setting, gothic works very very well, far more than possibly the cosmic horror. The action monster of the week pulp kind of vibe thing though is a hell of a lot of fun oh, yeah. to play i run a, a pulp cthulhu game of masks of nyalothotep once a month and and pretty much every game convention that i run is a pulp kind of uh the mummy you know that kind of you know macabre circus kind of vibe which which makes for really good one shots really fun games um and so i think i think they're all great they've all got their own place and and in a lot of ways, a lot of it's just about the pacing, about how how that how those games translate. It's about the pacing and the mood that you set um, can really lend itself well to this eldritch horror or gothic or the the fast action of pulp and the splatter fest of zombie killing that you can get out of a really good pulp game. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, you've pretty much said it, but w w let's let's talk about here. Like, what are your guys' experiences with running horror, playing horror? I mean, James, we we know. I mean, you said, is there any other one, things you want to kind of bring up here? I would like to mention World of Darkness. Um, you know, I've I've talked a lot about my Call of Cthulhu, and yeah. I've talked a lot about about Strad and 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 
D&D and things like that. But in my mind, I actually learned a hell of a lot about role-playing horror games through the 90s and the 2000s playing World of Darkness games. Um, Vampire the Masquerade is a fantastic game for, for that romantic side to the gothicness of horror. Um, and it is a really good game to get into the role-playing of what it means to be a monster and what it means to have monstrous things happen around you. That slipping of your control so that you're no longer human, that, that kind of release and that horror of not being able to look yourself in the mirror is a really good um, good system to role-play some of that stuff. And it's really quite adult in its content in terms of role-playing games. And not for everyone, but um, I, that's one thing that I learned a lot about when I was running World of, War, World of, War, World of Warcraft, <laughs> God, haven't we? Uh, World of Darkness <laughs> uh, games. is, is it, it has a far more adult approach to it and a far more nuanced mm. approach to how you, you deal with... Um, with the horror of the mind. It really challenges you, kind of right? a good way like to It really challenges it. your yeah. notions, really challenges things that we don't want to think about. I think that's which in a way is yeah, makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. I, that, I like that. Yeah. And I guess when I guess when we're talking about horror is that kind of that kind of the the, the things that make you icky. Yeah. Um I, a lot of these games put you in the position where you are doing icky things that that, that makes your skin crawl. It really it really creates that definite discomfort about a about what what situations that you're in and what the, the limits of where you would go morally makes it a really interesting role-playing uh, experience. Where it's not just like you're being scared. It's, it's I don't, these things are challenging me and, and it's it puts me in a weird space. Carl, what about you? What is your kind of yeah. main experiences as far as running or playing? Or... But, but uh, the funny thing is um, when we were playing back in the day with AD&D, we were doing horror with AD&D and we just, Vampire was that game for those other people, you know, <laughs> at the time. We were like, oh, that's that's those other people play that game. Um, and we, like women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and so we, we used we used D&D rules, and I think um, AD&D lended itself a little bit more as long as you didn't do the power curve and you kept the characters weak and you brought on, you know, you didn't let the, the, the creatures in a monster manual guide you know, it, it, you could create that vibe. And we did a lot of that um, at that time, just trying to make things scary because we were kind of, you know, over for a while. The, you know, let's all get up to 15th level and just go killing things left, right, up and down. We were we were really looking forward to something that we had a little more. Um, and I'll say uneasiness again. I, I mean, I wanted to feel icky, I guess is the word you say. I wanted to have that feeling of uneasiness. I'm not a big horror movie fan either, but it's it's nice to, you know, the the have a little um, you know, knot in your stomach while you're playing. It it really gets you and and I it really gets a kind of those bloods flowing in a way that I run up against a monster and I just slash it with my sword, which is a whole different different feeling. Another game that I played a little bit was uh, uh Delta Green, which has a, yep. com a completely different side of it. You are supposedly competent, strong individuals going against this cosmic horror out there that you're trying to protect the world about. So you come into that game understanding more of the world than anyone else, yet it scares the hell out of you because you know now yeah. you know what you shouldn't know, yeah. and that stuff's coming. Yeah. I've had a couple of really good game masters. I've never game mastered it myself who, who did a really good job of kind of making you feel – like you're a badass, but you're completely outgunned or out 
and there's nothing you can do about it except just try to survive. Um, so that was a lot of fun. So that's, that's kind of my experience with, uh, kind of running horror. Um, okay. yeah, I never really got a chance to, to use games that the systems that were aligned to that. So we didn't have like sanity and fear and all that kind of stuff. We just mm. tried to role play it out at the time. The, um, and the other big one, I guess that I, I failed to mention, and, and I guess was a huge, I ran campaigns in this setting for years, was Ravenloft. It was the oh, sure. official of Dungeons and Dragons kind of gothic horror setting that incorporated Strahd and incorporated the realms of the dead, the dread and things like that. And um, I had a ball running. But I, I guess it's funny because I was doing all the same, all of this all at the same time. I was running Cthulhu, running Vampire, running Ravenloft. And so it all kind of merged into one style of role-playing and one style of storytelling, which is kind of that existential horror that, that, that I just really adore. I really love running games in that in that way. So I have a question that's not even on the outline that I just thought about, because I'm in a game currently that is undead heavy, but again, I would not consider that a horror game. Like what? So like, what, what would you say is that the main kind of difference between like horror elements in a game and like an actual horror game? Or is there a difference? Like... General James, because you were just no. talking. Oh, Carl. Right. I, I, I kind of look at it more. At, I, I think elements of horror in a non-horror game. So yeah. if it's not a, a specific horror game, but but there are elements of horror, I, I actually think that there isn't much of a difference because in, in a lot of the way that I look at it, it's about the scene that, that it depicts the horror. I mean, you can, you can ignore the horror, the feel of horror within a game and have waves of undead and you're just fighting the, the yeah. ghouls and nothing, nothing seems untoward. But if you start to look at some of the themes and feel and mood of horror and you start pointing out the, the humanity of these creatures and the undeadness of them and the rank smells and you start to get into the body horror of the squirt, the squishy bones as you, as you kind of pulverize them or, or the body fluids that leak out of them, you can inject horror elements into what wouldn't be a horror game you can kind of have these strange feelings and and uh, strange little cut scenes within a non-horror game um use of ghosts for example is a great example where you could have a ghost in a non-horror game but it's how you play that ghost and the mood that you set in that ghostly interaction that can kind of add bring an element of horror even into a non-horror game does that yeah is that kind of explain it? I, I see it's interesting as um it's I think of it as like the alien aliens thing, right? Yeah. Um when you're mm -hmm. talking about alien, it's it's horror. I mean it's it's it it's that kind of thing. But then you go to aliens and it's the same creature, but it's more action, we're attacking, we're not afraid. We kinda know we're scared in the sense that we think we're gonna get killed. Yeah. So that's that's how I think of the difference, right? If you've got a game where you're, yeah, I'm a cleric and I'm rolling into hordes of zombies and, oh, well, no big deal. You know, I'm the big damn hero. It's just that different feeling from, like James, you were saying, the smells, the sights, the sounds, the you yourself is not the big bad. The other stuff is the big bads and you're trying to survive it. Yeah, um, yeah, that feeling. So often is, it's like often is, the is, scariest thing is the unknown. And I think that's what you guys are also kind of, painting here is that to, to yeah. put in that mystery of what you're actually facing and also like maybe a feel of helplessness in this too right of like or just overwhelming things okay but let, let's go on to i think one of the most that's okay. that's right because i mean to go yeah. back to carl's idea of alien and aliens aliens is a very different yes. movie and and you've got it's action heavy and it's and it's really pulpy 
until you're that little girl in the sewer with the doll's head alone, away from everyone and unable to kind of fend for yourself, then you're in back into that horror mode, that that helplessness, yeah. that kind of that that fear. But it's a and scene, that, right? Really it's what, not the what, whole movie. Great. I think that's yeah. where we're, we're talking Correct. about the whole movie here of campaigns. Yeah. So let's talk about that. You want to do a horror game. I think one of the most important things yep. here is to then, right, is, is to really, like we've talked about a million times, uh, session zero and kind of setting expectations with players and... You know, I think with horror, there probably is a bigger, bigger responsibility here because you are dealing yes. maybe with some scary things. So let's talk about that, Carl. Like what, how do you set expectations with players, both in to get them to kind of understand the mood that you're going for and also to kind of make sure everybody's on the same page as far as what people's limits are and stuff? What do you, what do, you do? It, it, well, it's a, it's a little bit of different conversation from your standard, I'm getting a game ready because yeah. you are asking the players to go outside of their comfort zone. You're asking them to, um, even though they have complete utter player agency, care, you know, that to do things in a way to, to you're not going to be a big damn hero. You, you're, you're going to have uneasy moments. Are you okay with that? How do you, um, can you work with me as a game master to, build that mood. We're not going to be doing Monty Python jokes. We're not going to be, you know, it's a tougher conversation in the sense of there's more to it there. And let's be honest, you know, horror um, creates that uh, a visceral feeling. And so it could definitely trigger players, um, you know, when they get into it, trigger them, make them feel very bad about things and you need to be able to provide an outlet of that. And I think James, you'll, you'll walk through that a little bit more, but um, it's, it's not just session zero. It's we are going for a feeling that we may not be used to having, right? Yeah. You, this is something that is going to make you feel uneasy. Are you okay with that? It's going to maybe make you a little freaked out. Are you okay with that? There's going to be sights and sounds that are, different are you okay with that um and then just you really got to set that expectation because the first the first game people come and they start cracking monty python jokes it's it's kind of over already interesting um, and not that i yeah. have any problem with monty python jokes but it's really really important that the characters buy in the players buy into what their characters are going to be doing so would you say that compared to almost like any other genre horror is almost one of the most important ones to really be uh, explicit about what your expectation should be and kind of what the mood is going to be, all those things. W would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think you summarized that very well. It, okay. It's it's There's a higher bar of getting buy-in and having everybody on the same page yeah. than maybe, maybe some of the other genres where, you know, you can roll into pulp and out of pulp and back and forth, but, you know, once the horror's been broken or the the sense has been broken it's it's tougher to get back interesting um, but it can be uh, and it's also more intense so uh, you know um it's much more intense to the players and you have to give them outs um during the game as well well let's talk about outs yeah. james i think um, what i remember from you know you're playing like you're very good about this and you're very kind of on top of the mechanics so what how do you do it how do you set up the outs how do you set up the kind of um like trigger whatever yeah, I mean, just Carl put that perfectly. By the way, I think I think really good way of, of dealing with it. I'm not dealing with it, but but um, acknowledging horror at the beginning and being really upfront and honest about how this is going to play out. Um, I use a couple of very specific tools. I use um, an X card 
um, when we're playing in person, which is literally a card with an X on it, and people can just subtly touch it if things are getting a little bit out of control, and 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 I will pull back on description and and the viscera of of kind of my horror, the way that I describe things. Um, in online games, I use a "Can we pause a second? It's like so, any anyone on the table can just say, "Hey, can we just pause a second? And it just gives me an indication that there that it might we might be getting to the point where someone's actually uncomfortable, because I think there is a there is a tendency when you're when you're running a horror game and you want to scare yeah. people and you want to make them uncomfortable that you go as hard as you go, and often people might not have the same level of sensibility as you do as a storyteller. And so it's really important that when you're running a game that deals with horror and deals with adult themes like this, that you are very cognizant of other people's comfort and, um, and kind of manage it very well. Uh, and that in, in some ways that, that involves a couple of things. I actually do check-ins before any session where I think that there's going to actually be a significant thing. So not just session zero, but if I know that we're coming into a scene that, that might be some quite confrontational horror, body horror or, uh, or, or um, anything like that, I will actually touch base again with my players saying, hey, look, this episode actually has some pretty significant issues with it in terms of, um, you know, it can be, this could be particularly horrific in, in the way that we're going to be describing things. Um, again, just want to remind you that you can pull it back at any time. And in the similar vein as after the session, I'll often do a touch base with players as well to say, hey, look, that was pretty full on. Um, if, any, if you need to give me any feedback on that or if anything makes you uncomfortable, I'll have happy to talk about it because the, the key is, is once you're in the session, it's all great, but you still actually have to kind of touch base and, and think about player welfare. Um, I also use a formal um, RPG uh, themes checklist before I start any of my um, horror games, which talk through what makes people uncomfortable. Um, so give people an, uh, uh, the, the opportunity to say, actually, I don't want to experience, you know, close spaces, yeah. suffocation. I don't want body horror. I don't want, um, you know, uh, torture. I don't want elements like this in these games. And then you just have to respect that those are the decisions that, that the group needs to make. So okay. it's a fine line to do it right. But if you set it up right and set up the expectation really, really well, then um, then you know, uh, and, and, and touch base with it the whole time. This isn't a set once and go, well, we did that, so don't worry about it. It's something that you should do as, as the game unfolds to make sure everyone is very comfortable. I had a, a, a rather a tragic thing happen a couple of years ago where one of my players lost a family member in the middle of a campaign. It was in the middle of Ravenloft. It was in the middle of Curse of Strahd. And there are lots of themes about loss and death and undead and things like that. And so, you know, it was just a reminder that you have to kind of, be sensitive to people and their situation and touch base with them and make sure they're comfortable moving forward. I guess it's just, you know, be, be a nice storyteller. Yeah. Seems like quite the balancing act of, uh, you know, respecting everybody, how everybody's differences, but also you want to push that envelope, right? You want, cause that's what you're there to do. Yeah. You're there to set this, kind of get these reactions. Um, yeah. So I mean, on that note, I think, again, one of the most important things for a horror game is the, the mood. So how, how do you go about really setting the mood, setting the, the ambiance, uh, and especially, I mean, I can imagine both of you guys doing uh, cons, right? And that's, you can go really heavy with that, and we've talked about that before, but yeah, in all different levels, how do you set the mood? Uh, we'll start with you, James. Um, mood I love, and even in conventions, I, I tend to, to <laughs> go a little bit over the top with mood, but um, in particular, I think horror actually works very, very well, and I think it works much better as a face-to-face -face storytelling 
um, rather than an online version. I, I, I run Call of Cthulhu and I run games online, but I actually find that the mood you set the mood a lot better if you're running face to face. Um, I use mood light, mood lighting wherever I can. I try and avoid running horror games during the day. I actually think the darkness and the shadows and the more intimate, closed in feel um, make it make it a much better game. I use soundtracks, and we've already talked about my love of Sirenscape. But Sirenscape run a, a huge bevy of um, horror soundscapes, and so you can kind of have that that creaking floorboards, that that kind of discordant droning sound that just puts people on edge just to allow for some of that stuff um handouts are really important blood spattered pieces of paper and and you know the evil foul kind of idol and things like that also work very well but i but in my mind the, the best way of setting mood ever in in this is my little trick about setting mood it's all about voice and yep. it's all about quiet so it's actually about bringing your voice down so the people not necessarily are straining to hear you, but it's it's about delivering a lot of what you do in a soft way, a soft, measured, slow horror way. And in my mind, that that works so well in setting mood. If you if you can set the mood in in that kind of precise, quiet, bone chilling increment of of just quiet menace. I think you'll find that you'll go a long way to setting a mood right and you'll cut down a lot of those Monty Python jokes because people will feel that discomfort already and, and be kind of nervous to break the tension, I guess. So in a lot of ways, mood, as opposed to props and bits and pieces, yeah. a lot of it's about the way that you actually sell it as a, as a, as a dungeon master. Uh, Carl, what about you? James James nailed it. Um, for me, I, I don't do very much in person, like, uh, in the house kind of thing. I do conventions yeah. and conventions. It's difficult to do candlelight or, or soundtracks or that sort of thing. But the gate of your voice, how you present information is just absolutely critical. Um, you know, when I'm running my campaigns with you guys, it's very much, you know, we're talking fast and we're doing stuff in a horror game. You have to set that things aren't, the way you expect them to be and that's that's incredibly important and it's it's hard at a convention when there's a lot of noise because you can't get as quiet as you'd like to and yeah. so one of the things i like to do is i move around the table a lot so one thing that's kind of nice is to get close to the people who you're talking to you come across go Oh, God. So you're in the <laughs> state room by yourself? Is that oh, true? Like so it made physical space. Then, Got it. Yeah, yeah. Not not too close. No, I'm not saying that I'm about know, to like kiss him on the cheek or anything. No, but, no. <laughs> but but you're get, you're riding that line to... of what makes people uncomfortable a little bit and just kind of throwing them off in their normal way they communicate. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But otherwise, James just nailed it. That that all that comes together and really sets the mood for. For the game, for sure. Interesting. Okay, well, let's let's talk about some of the kind of mechanical conventions that you do to kind of uh, make horror horror. Like, Carl, what are some of the things that you do, uh, you know, more mechanically? I guess it doesn't be specific, but like, how do you adjust your games when it's like, oh, we're doing fantasy, but now we're doing horror, right? What, what do you do like, kind of mechanically to set that up? Well, the, the first thing is uh, I spend time kind of decreasing the power level you know, the idea, the whole point is to make the characters feel a little helpless. Yeah. They, they, they're not the, you know, they're, they're not Indiana Jones running through everything. They're, they're the sidekick who's 
needs to be a little bit afraid. So sometimes it's every man. Sometimes it's just decreasing the power level. So, you know, again, I play Savage Worlds a lot. So in Savage Worlds, you can, um, you know, minimize the bennies you can have. You can take away edges and not allow folks to have edges as a everyday normal person. You can decrease the amount of wounds they can take or make it so they can't soak damage. So there's things mechanically that makes the person a little more helpless, a little more um, yeah, prone to, to I, I guess, being affected by this horror that they're going against, let's say the monster of the week, if they don't, they, they don't feel like, yeah, I can just stand toe to toe with them because they can't. Yeah. yeah. You've, lo- and, you've lost it. And they don't yeah. have yeah, all the resources, it. right? They don't have all the, the same resources they would normally. So the, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it's important to kind of, I think it's important to set an expectation here too, that, with your players to understand the lethality of the game. You know, when I run horror games, it's really important to explain, hey, look, you're probably not going to survive this, by the way. You know, the <laughs> idea of, of everyone kind of surviving and living a happily ever after is, is, is it shouldn't be shouldn't be the expectation of these games. The the expectation should be that if we survive, it's there, but, you know, it's it's from a complete fluke that we got out of this alive. And, and you will watch some of your friends not survive this, I think is a really important thing. Um, I run I run a rule in conventions, but also in my in, in my games that when somebody dies in one of my horror games, they get a standing ovation at the table, so that it makes people feel like, yeah, I, f- I actually achieved what the game was set out to achieve, which is a memorable, iconic way of dying in a in a spectacular fashion, and it takes the edge off of that <laughs> that having to survive every encounter, because I think one of the biggest traps you have in a horror role playing game is people still have that. I'm going to survive this at all costs kind of mentality that you might have from a fantasy role-playing game where really half the fun is not surviving in some ways and in doing this kind of stuff. So this idea of decreasing the power level of your character or more importantly, increasing the power of the adversary so that that the the likelihood of your survival is actually quite low is really important. If I look at a a game like Curse of Strahd um, where setting up the expectation that you will not survive Strahd is a very important one for that game because you have multiple encounters with this big bad evil guy in the middle throughout the course of the campaign. And if you felt like you could take him early, the game would be over very, very quickly. It has to be a process of developing up knowledge and understanding of what the true foe is and how you can actually defeat them. If you go straight into the toe-to-toe idea, you, you just won't survive it in a lot of ways. Um, and I think that every man idea, that that kind of that low survivability, actually improves the way that you role play. I mean, everyone's seen a horror film. Everyone understands the the kind of idea of of not being of of what happens when the when the match goes out and you're plunged into darkness and the evil creatures no longer are, are afraid of the light. Everyone understands that kind of idea, and so uh, the role playing of that helplessness, I think, is what makes horror role playing so much fun. Cool. Um, so let's, let's talk about more like narratively, uh, what are kind of some of the tips and tricks that you would use James when, you know, again, to differentiate between a normal fantasy game, what are, what are the narrative kind of conventions that you use to make it really feel like horror? Um, there's a couple of things that, that I use a lot, uh, and a lot of it's about the individualistic nature of horror and, and getting into the getting into the boots of what it feels like to be around all these horrible things that are going wrong with you. 
And in, in some ways, there's a little bit of a trap here in that when you're running horror games, you can get caught up a little bit. And I actually think this isn't a bad thing, by the way. Horror games, by their nature, can sometimes lessen players' agency. Mm. You can kind of take agency off players a little bit because a lot of what I do narratively is about describing how people feel and put words into their mouths and put words into their minds about how they're feeling in a certain situation. And normally that's a bit of a no-no when you're, when you're running role-playing games. You know, it's up to the player to determine how they feel. It's up to you to give them the scenario and they react. A lot of when you're running a, a, a plot line and a, and a narration in terms of uh, horror games, you're actually provoking feeling with a lot of what you do. And so um, the idea of you feel afraid you might say as a, as a dungeon master or a games master that normally you would never yeah. do that. Normally they're her, her, heroic. So it's about getting into the mindset of the players is a lot of, of, a lot of what I do and, and, and how I work through that. So I'll often talk about your heart starting to beat loudly in your chest, the hairs sticking up on your hands, you feel the sweat start to fire on your brow and you're overcome by this overwhelming urge to flee. You know, that from, for the others, you see this person and the colour is drained out of his face. They have seen a ghost and they are panicked. And, and that's not, often not how you run a role-playing game, right? Because that's up yeah. to the players to decide how they do that. So in some ways, that, that's kind of a big shift and a big change in how I run, in how I run games and how I run horror it's games. It's almost like you're, you're like, I'm the lizard, you're lizard brain, your character's lizard brain, and you are reacting this way because of forces unseen. And I think that's really right. Yep. You're like... Normally, if it's yeah, the player has agency, but in this case, like you're like, no, this is what's happening. This is the experience because we're not living in like a VR, right? So it's almost hard to really to really set that up. But yeah, that's a, that's really interesting, uh, James. <laughs> um, Carl, what? <laughs> and, and it's set, and it's set up it's set up to the player how they react. Of course, you know. Yeah. So well, I, I'm overcome with fear, but I, I I just grab my gun and I shoot wildly, or I, I run screaming yeah. down the hallway, or I cower in a certain. You know, it's up to them how they react to it. But but you, you just kind of have to overwhelm yeah. your players with their feelings because fear is so fear is the inevit inevitability of what's happening and then how then they have the choice of yeah. how they act upon that fear that, that i really do like that carl what about you what are some kind of the narrative tricks that you do to really set the mood for well for i think board? i think one of the big things is be very um i'll use the term vivid in your descriptions and how you explain mm. the scene with all the um pardon uh i don't know if it's a pun but pardon the use of the phrase gory details um all the gory details that are there so, like, for example, um, I was in a, a Delta Green game and uh, y there was a barn and the barn had, you know, um, some uh, some ritualistic uh, killings going on. And, and the description could very easily you come into the barn, you see blood stains on the floor, you see, you know, this disturbance, blah, blah, blah. But if you got into it and you really started saying, you know, um, things like you see the the drips slowly coming off of the board where the horse once lived and the hay is sticky under your feet as you crawl across <laughs> the way towards this, you know, I mean, just that kind of thing is makes all the difference. And I kind of came up with an example halfway on the spot. So it's not quite as cool as it could be, but that, that's the point. You'd be very vivid in the smells and, um, and then that kind of helps then if you do start adding in, well, this, you know, that's that whiff of smell kind of makes you nauseated. And normally the player would say, hey, you know, I get to choose that. But now we're back to where James is saying you're taking a little bit of that agency because you're giving that vivid description of 
sights, sounds, smells, and in that way that we talked about um, from setting the mood, in that very that voice that's kind of just drawing them in to the best of your ability. Uh, I think that's one of the biggest things that changes from you know a hallway is just a hallway. No, it's not a hallway in a horror genre. It's a dark thing that goes off into the distance with the dripping water and all that kind of stuff going on. And you have to be very, very clear to do that. I think that's my opinion on, on helping that out. So any other, I couldn't agree more that those, those details are, are important and, and that there's fear and the, 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 the other element of horror is also that revulsion where you just go, Oh God, I don't, that's, that's grotesque, you know? And in order to make people revolted, you actually have to describe it to the point where they're revolted, which unfortunately, uh, you know, you're painting pretty awful pictures is, is kind of where you go down in, in that area. But um, you can have damn good fun doing it. Watching the watching the actual revulsion in your players is, is always a fun thing when you're, when you're turning stomachs across the table. Um, a bit of it about the other element about in terms of... Um, when we're when we're putting a game like this together is is there there is an element of pacing as well i think what carl and i have been talking a lot about is about these slow burns where you're slowly introducing these clues and you're slowly building the dread and the fear and you're slowly painting a picture of things are not right in this world and things are looking very you know we're not in kansas anymore this is really macabre and it's really yeah. out there but the other side of pacing, in my, in my mind, is is the jump scare, where where you can then intersperse that with the actual reveal of something that is pr- truly horrific, and that's when you can change the pacing of your voice and change the pacing of a of a scene to really unveil and very quickly. And 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 in some ways, in a horror game, that's the important point. That's the important part to make where it is the slow exploration that goes into the hurried panic and the yeah. fleeing and the screaming and the running away. You have to have that kind of that snap where you can kind of draw people's attention to the scene and then change the pace very quickly um, into the action sequence where they're firing their guns everywhere and things are going horribly, horribly awry and people are running screaming down the hallway. I think that's the other side of um, narratively how you, how you set one of these games up. You've got to intersperse them both. The slow burn and then the fast panic is kind of the, the two dials that you end up using a lot when you're running these games. But like just keeping people unbalanced, keeping them not used to whatever rhythms they're used to being, kind of disrupting that. And do you ever like telegraph? I mean, you know, because so much of what we ta- we've talked about before many times is like telegraphing story beats or, you know, informing the players of kind of where you're going because of things. But it seems like with horror, at least what I'm getting from you guys, especially with kind of that disruption and jump scares, is you really don't want to inform them at times, right? There is times when you are, you're building that tension, right? But, you know, forgive me if I'm wrong, but for the jump scares, you don't, you don't want to kind of uh, set that up where they're going to expect anything, right? You have to be kind of sneaky about it. Is that something that you find yourself doing or not? Yeah, you do. Yeah, and sometimes you have to throw the and you have to throw the jump scare in when they least expect it, yeah. which is the hard part. It's the hard part about the, the pacing. Um, the telegraphing is a really interesting thing because you have to telegraph the, the dread and the evil in order to build the tension and build the fear. But in that requires a buy-in from your players, because if you say that the room ahead that the, the it was an old playground and the rusted swings are, are kind of here, and then you can get an overwhelming smell of iron of, of blood coming from this and, and you kind of build up the tension 
the worst thing that can happen is the players go, nope, not doing that. I'm closing the door. I'm going home and I'm putting the kettle on and I'm going to bed. You know, you you have to have buy-in from the players that as you're telegraphing these horrific things that they're seeing, they still continue to step forward into the, in, into the unknown. Um, and that's the uh, hard bit because you're telegraphing and the players have to kind of acknowledge, yeah, this is bad. But we're continuing anyway. You know, it's the and and it's the whole thing where you're yelling at a horror movie, going, yeah. "What are you doing? Don't yeah. go in the basement. You're an idiot." But when you role play and, and when you're in these games, you better damn well go into that basement, or the game's not well, going. Is, anywhere. is part so, of it like uh, is part of it you have to have a good hook too? Like, why would these like you have to have that compelling reason for people to be doing the things that normal sane people wouldn't be doing? Is that something that you find yourself also kind of really really having a solid hook, well, Carl? Yeah. Well, well, part of it's hook and part of it is also, you know, players buying into doing what the expectation, you know, following the tropes, right? Yeah. But also, as a game master, you can do things to kind of force that. Um, don't give them a choice, right? I mean, in the sense of don't put them in a situation where they do not have the ability to take other avenues. Yeah. Um, for example, you know, like you're isolating them from outside help from how many horror movies are in like a building or in some place that you can't escape from when, you know, the, yeah. all the windows have bars on them and all. So the, the, the point is make it so they can't just say nope out um, when they want to. Um, and for example, uh, um, in Savage Worlds, there's a setting called ETU, East Texas University, which is a very yeah. horror based one. And and you could have adventures on campus taking place in campus housing where people can run around, or you could have adventures that take place in the sub-basement where something's happening where there's really only one way out and you're still trying to explore. So I think that's where, you know, James was saying, you, they got to make the choice to go in the basement or you, or there's not much other choice then to be in a basement and then yeah. they have to work through that. So, um, that's, that's one of the things that I think is, is also something you can do to, to help the story along. But to James point, the players have to already bought in at session zero, there's going to be danger. You're supposed to go towards it. It's just like any other role-playing game, right? There's danger. And if the hero doesn't go towards it, then there's no game, right? Cause then we're all sitting in Hobbit town, smoking our, our weed and, just hanging out, right? So, um, pipe weed that is, <laughs> <laughs> which is what so weed. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely yeah, well, see yeah, that. No. Of course, you have to buy in, and there's that there's that yes and with improv. But I but I do think that like I mean in this case it really does seem like railroading, which is such a dirty word, right? But but um, often that that probably seems like the best vehicle to really deliver people is to have that kind of direct track of why there's a times where they might have a choice, right? You really want to kind of lock them down into like, this is, feels like it's their only course, right? That or death. I mean, you said there was only one way out, but there's two ways out, right? <laughs> they could yeah, give yeah, in yeah. to the, to the and, and I get, And yes, they're a little railroaded, yeah. but I mean, it's, it's the point where you got to that situation that shouldn't be railroaded. You know, there, there's plenty of opportunities to, to come at, at all of these games from different angles. But once you enter the basement, you're yeah. in the basement, you know, it's like you're, and, and if the, if they, if they hear the latch of the, of the basement door, can suddenly lock behind them and realize that they're trapped. Well, now we're in the horror, you know, now we're in that kind of, exactly. you're, you're down there alone by yourself. The other, the other trope that, that you should lean into in some ways, both of the player and a, and a, uh, and as, as, as a um, storyteller, it's this 
idea of isolation. I mean, isolation is a huge theme in horror. It's it's that one person against all um, overwhelming odds, and and when you're caught alone, you're in real yeah. trouble, um, which goes completely against the trope of never split the party, right? But um, in in my whenever I play a Call of Cthulhu game, I, I I always say unless you split the party, there's no chance of having fun because you know the the bad guy isn't going to pick you off one at a time if you're all in the same room together, holding you know huddling around the torch. You've got to go off and explore by yourself in order to really discover where the horror is, um, and that that makes it an an interesting thing because you're exposing yourself. You're kind of saying, all right, I'm putting myself at risk, but without the risk. It, it the horror it's you know if, if everything's nice and safe and clean and lit um you're not really running a horror game you're, you're running something into let's, let's actually talk about that point a little bit more because i think that's that is very interesting and kind of unique to horror is splitting the party like is there any other tricks to really get the party to split like do you have things like well the time's running out so the, the only possible way you can do x is if you guys split up do you have any other tips like that because i think that it does seem like it's all pretty unique to horror games uh, spatial is also part of it is, is if there's knowledge to be gained, that's far enough apart. Yeah. You know, that's why somebody has got to go to the library. Somebody has ah. got to go to the catacomb. Somebody has got to go because they're, they're, we're not going room to room to room as, as a group, right? We need to split up because what we need to do is, um, located disparately and the time aspect of it. We don't have time to spend an hour here and then go spend yeah. an hour across town. And it's been, a, we really have to split to be able to um, do everything we need to do. And that comes to, you know, I think in like uh, Delta green, you always have, and some other games you have specialties and there's someone who's going to go to the library anyway, cause that's what they do and that's their thing. Um, so I, I think that's part of it as well. Okay. You can also split the party in a room too, which is it's it's a there's a little it's a little nuanced trick where you describe you you start broadly. This room looks like this, and all this kind of stuff. And as people start to say, "I want to do this," I want to invest. I want to have a look at the the bookshelf. I want to look at the window. I want to look at whatever. You can just focus on that an individual player, and then take what they're doing to an extent to kind of isolate them from the group. So, well, actually, as you approach that window, you and only you hear the sound of muffled screams from the other side. Well, I open up the window. Oh, okay. You find yourself, you know, you hear it even closer and you feel your heart panic as you hear the sound of, of someone calling your name. Well, I get out the window. But what you don't do is, is throw to the rest of yeah. the party. You just focus your energy on that one person's decision making, and soon enough, they'll you'll find that they'll isolate themselves within within the, the narration. And you can often say, "Oh, hang on, the rest of you don't hear this. This is just this person." And you can put a lot of attention into one person just to isolate them and, until they until they get themselves in that <laughs> in that area. Same same thing when when you're you're the one poking at the blood, or you're the one opening the eldritch tome, or you're the one that's confronting the horror. You can kind of isolate. Within a within a scene that has other players in Interesting. it, kind of manipulating sense. perception. And so that kind of breaks the. So, so that kind of breaks the whole concept of sharing the spotlight a little bit, right? You you focus a little bit longer, you linger a little bit longer on one player than maybe you might normally if you're sharing the spotlight and yeah. going around the table. You just linger on them long enough for for something to happen. 
That makes a lot of sense. Or to yeah. maybe even yeah. and 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 it becomes personable too. So if you if you, if you can one on one describe how someone's feeling and and the viscera, and and they feel like they're experiencing that alone, that that gives a, a horror feel to it because you know it's not necessarily the the whole group experiencing that that kind of that that kind of vibe. Even though everyone's hearing it at the table and they're all smiling. Yeah kind of at the poor sucker that's having to do this, um, you know, that, that it, it, it isn't a shared experience. It still seems like they might, like both in characters and out of character, kind of question, is this really happening? Or are they like having some type of mental or something, right? Like that's kind of the, that feeling too of like yeah. questioning this person. Um, very, very cool. Uh, very, very intense. Let's talk about one of the most primal aspects of horror, I think, and kind of the one that dates back to our you know, birth as a sapient species is kind of the dark forest is the, 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 the expansiveness of empty space. Well, let's talk about the unknown. I think that is, mm-hmm. that's the one that we can most, you know, uh, right. We're all, we're all afraid of the dark and what was under our bed as a kid, because we just didn't know what was in there. So how do you, how do you summon <laughs> the unknown? Uh, what are the ways that you do to really uh, manifest that in, in players? James, I'll start with you. Um, well, this is a huge theme in Lovecraftian literature. It's all about that. The, the, there's a quote, and I'll never remember this entirely, but the idea being that if, if, if the human mind could correlate the enormity of what was happening in the universe, their mind would surely break with, with the, the, the horror of, of, of the extremity of it. And the fact that the universe is inhabited by deeply unknowable, unknowable malevolent forces that are there to kill you. Um, uh, the unknowable is a really interesting one because you have to describe something in order for people to get to be fearful, but you have to leave enough doubt and without really understanding what it is that you're fighting in order to create the unease and the strangeness of it to to really invoke what you were just saying. Am I really am I really seeing this or am I imagining yeah. it? Which is another part of the horror. Um, and so the idea of not describing things fully not showing so that it's it's one of these tragedies when i play call of cthulhu there's so much wonderful art of call of cthulhu of the evil monsters and yet one of the worst things you can do is kind of show the monster the worst thing you can do in a call of cthulhu game is pop a mini on the table because then it turns into a tactical i get this side i get that side instead i i use very loose terms I, I and and you glimpse things from weird angles. You see the shadows of creatures before you see their real form. You see what they have done rather than what they are, um, and really play up that kind of. This could be a, a large bat, or it could be a large octopus. So you're not quite sure. All you can see is is a thousand arms stretching towards you, and the cacophony of a thousand voices calling you to your doom. You haven't really described anything. All you've described is kind of the the initial uh, reactions to what they might see, or or their their, their first kind of um, uh, impression of what it is that they're seeing, rather than actual getting into the the tactile elements and the the creature is five foot wide by four foot yeah. tall and and has four <laughs> eyes kind of thing. Yeah. You know what I mean, Carl? What I, about you? I think that's the most. Um, well, that's that's the the mo- two most important things that I look at, and and so this is not. Um, cosmic horror but more kind of the gothic or the action is the the two big things are you glimpse it or you see the results of it you never see it at all until maybe this jump cut or the the shock that uh, james was talking about earlier 
it's always you see the results of what this thing can do. Um, you know, the blood stains, the you know, somebody tried to battle it, and so there's a little piece of it, and it's you know, unknowable what it is, you don't understand, and it's just there's just a there's it's just the horror of what it did, but I've never seen it, or I just get a glimpse of it. Like there's so many creatures like in D and D that are so cool that if you just saw a little bit of it, just that, like you said, there's a tentacle, but what's behind the tentacle? I swear I saw something under that grate. It just, it's came up and it reached for me, but I, I couldn't tell what it was, but it was under the grate and it wasn't, didn't have a clown nose. So <laughs> it, it's, it's scaring me and it's, so it's just a glimpse of it until the time comes to go from the slow burn to the shock. And then, Things are there, and and you've you're you're um, face to face now with the horror that's been building up. So I think those are yeah. a couple of things that I and I don't play a lot of Call of Cthulhu, so I'm really thinking about that gothic action monster of the week sort mm. of thing. Um, and the longer you hide it, the scarier it is because people's minds will build out a scarier yeah. monster than it is in reality. I was I was just about to say that when like that we talk about so much of using players as a resource and this seems like you're really going to leverage their own imaginations to make it scarier than you even intended to so that's uh, really cool. Um, I think final oh, yeah. and you can play you can play with you can play with descriptions yeah. like if you actually described a goblin in a horror way you know you see this child <laughs> it couldn't be any more than three or four years old but. As you peer into the darkness, you see its sallow skin and it hasn't seen daylight. It, it must have been imprisoned beneath, you know, in this basement for, for most of its natural life. Its eyes are a sickly jaundice yellow and you see all that its teeth have been filed to sharp pointy points. You know, it's a goblin. But the way you describe yeah. it could be an entirely different different thing. And, um, and I think that's half the fun of the horror. It's kind of, you know, it's keeping people off their toes so they don't quite know what the hell's going so on. I think that's that's a good place to end this too, is that let's talk about where, you know, at least I know for sure in like in movies and TV shows, but also in games that are intense, which I have played, I think so much of the important parts is that times of rest, right? Or times of safety or times for yeah. humor. So let's talk about some of that because I think that is one of the most important pieces because... Right. If you always have it up to 10 all the time or always have them feeling bad, then it's almost like you become kind of more numb to that. Right. So what do you do? How do you how do you prevent break, present breaks? How do you present allow for humor, allow for those kind of things, Carl? Well, I, I think it's just the pacing of the adventure. Right. It, 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 like you said, there's not there's ups and downs within the adventure. So you can have a scene that's very intense, very and then one where it's more. Um, like they're now they are in the library looking around at books and taking it easy. And maybe they're, um, having some role play banter back and forth about, look what I've seen and this is weird or whatever, but you've brought the intensity down. They've got a chance to kind of regroup, get their energy back. And then they leave the library and now they're back kind of into the fray of things. And, you know, the door slams behind them as they leave the library. And suddenly now they're again, isolated once again, and you've ratcheted it up. But you give those moments in the pacing of the adventure where they don't have to be 100% on their toes, um, you know, at the, you know, their heart rate at the maximum. They, they get a chance to take a breather. Um, and then those are the times where kind of the gallows humor can come in and there can be some, you know, because even in war, right, people are making jokes oh, with yeah. each other. So it, it's okay at that stage until you ratchet it back up again. 
Yeah, I, f- I find I have and perfect points, Carl. Like absolutely, all those are, all those work. I find I I have a tendency in all my horror games to have my non-player characters a little bit goofier than you probably would normally have to kind of provide that brevity, to provide that light-hearted humour. So they're either very cowardly, so everyone goes, ha, 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 look at this coward, you know, oh, my God, I can't believe you're going in there, kind of over-the-top silliness, or they're, they're, they're very heavily into the, the, the trope, so everyone goes, oh, I know exactly this guy, and they kind of they kind of have a bit of a laugh. If you think of, and, yes, it's a very pulp movie, but if you think about something like The Mummy, where there is a lot of humour that goes on in between it. I try and intersperse that kind of level of of energy, even in my real heavy horror (laughs) games, because um, it it allows for that that kind of light and dark so that the dark becomes even more horrific, you know. But when they're back in town at the saloon, they get to... They get to have these little interactions. I think it's important to intersperse them in there so that it so that they get the silly as well as the as well as the horror. It's not quite uh, what's the name of the the movie with with the mask and the and the slasher. It's not Jeez. quite the scream kind yeah. of side of ridiculousness of silliness and horror, but it's that kind of vibe that you kind of break the dark with a bit of light. Yeah, no, it just really seems like because w- w- when you don't have the light, like you can't judge how darkness how dark darkness is, right? Yeah. Um, very cool. So I think, I mean, uh, let's talk just about final thoughts. What are your kind of, after everything we've talked about, what are your, what are your final thoughts, James? Final thoughts is have a go. Um, I really love horror games, and, and I think they're actually really, really well suited to one-shots. Um, so if you're, if you're thinking about running a horror game, have a bit of a look at it. Um, uh, Ravenloft's Guide for Dungeons & Dragons has some one-shots in it. The um, uh, Chaosium has a whole heap of really good Call of Cthulhu one-shots. Um, coming in, you know, it's a long way off now, but if you're coming towards Halloween and you want to try something different, do a little Halloween one-shot, a one- or two-hour kind of horror horror game just to give it a go um, and and see how you go. I, I, think, I think it's a great genre. I think it's really well-suited to role-playing um, because it's so well... Um, entrenched into yeah. people's minds because of horror films. They understand the genre, so it's easy to kind of get stuck into it. But um, but I love it, so have a go at it. Oh, and I, I'll just reiterate a couple of points. Get that buy-in with the players, understand where their lines and veils are, that they want to make sure that you're not pushing. Set that mood, um, and then really... Put the players in a place where they're uncomfortable, the descriptions are uncomfortable, they're um, isolated, and, and you know, just make them uneasy. That's the whole point of horror is to make everybody feel a little bit uneasy <laughs> about yeah. afraid and uneasy. So, Well, right. great. Thank you, everyone. Um, thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and I hope you got something out of it. Remember to drop by MasteringTheRPG.com to learn about our other projects um, and contact and support us. Please email Game Master at MasteringTheRPG.com if you've got questions, need advice, want some questions adjudicated. Uh, we're also on Twitter at, at MasteringTheRPG. If you like the show, please help us with a positive review um, and send us some comments. We'd just love to hear from you. So once again, this is Carl, Eric, and James saying goodbye and say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. Spooky gaming. <laughs>